I meant with your future. Your life. Well, that's a little hard to say. Ben. Excuse me. Mr. McGuire. Ben. Come with me for a minute. I want to talk to you. I just want to say one word to you. Just one word. Are you listening? Yes, I am. Plastics. Exactly. How do you mean? There's a great future in plastics. Will you think of that? Yes, I will. A business that's been in the family for generations is a lot different than a startup. They spend more time now on the phone collecting money than they do actually getting new business. That's a problem. When it's not the career they've been dreaming about, how do you get the kids to join the family business? (laughs) They have to. One of my cousins and myself, as he and I were both brought up, we both done every job in the plant. And we both had to go out and work for another company for a period of time before we were allowed to come back and work here. This is The Language of Business, a weekly podcast designed to inform and inspire entrepreneurs and anyone thinking about a startup. Learn about strategies that work and strategies that don't work. I'm executive producer Don Kelly. Our host is Greg Stoller, Harvard MBA and senior lecturer at Boston University Questrom School of Business. On this episode, we look at businesses that have been in the same family for generations. Here's Greg Stoller. Thanks, Don. We're on location at a third-generation-owned family business where the owner actually wants you to walk all over him. Weller Carpets in Norwood, Massachusetts. This isn't high-end retail with white-glove treatment. It's factory direct, where pricing and selection are the draw. This operation is all about managing your costs. But there's a problem. If your customers don't pay you on time, you're unwillingly becoming a lender and doing so via interest-free financing. What's up with that? Dan, thank you for having us here today. You're welcome. As we look around Weller Carpets, I don't see any FDIC logos or any FDIC signs indicating that you're a lender. How have you suddenly become a bank to your customers? The problem you have today as a small business owner is extending credit. If you don't extend the credit, you can't ship any goods. You are kind of trapped by when people will pay you, and not everybody adheres to the terms that we have. The only hope we have is that people will... uh, come as close as they can to paying, but we end up extending terms to people who need more help and more time to pay. And what are some typical payment terms? Our traditional terms are net 30, but we have found ourselves having to go as far out as 90 days with some customers we prefer not to. In an event we have to stretch out that far, then we look to have some kind of payment plan to get us to that point so that by the end of the 90 days, we've actually paid the invoice off. Now, is this an issue that's endemic to Weller Carpets or is it a general business trend? I don't know if it's a business trend. I could tell you within our industry it is. Um, I've spoken to uh, many of my competitors and others in the industry, and I know that our business in general is struggling with collections right now. If you were to ask, uh, I would think eight out of 10 small rug dealers, they would tell you, or carpet dealers, they would tell you that they spend more time now on the phone collecting money than they do actually getting new business. That's a problem. Now, obviously, a last resort is to take your customers to small claims court or to a larger forum like district court. What are some interim steps, however, that you can pursue before you just sue the bad guys? The best possible outcome is communication. Unfortunately, not everybody is willing to take your calls and not everybody is willing to discuss it. And I think that that's a bigger problem where people are running away from the problem. I think that we would 
And I think most business owners today, especially small business owners, family businesses, would be happy to discuss with people what their issues are because we have the same problem. We have, same, we have the same issues. So we understand. But if communication is the key, and if people aren't willing to discuss it and talk to us about it, then it becomes very, very difficult to move forward. If I don't get a return phone call from somebody, then I have no recourse but to take other action. And we prefer not to do that. And, and luckily, in only very few cases have we actually had to take that action. On the other side of the coin, Dan, what do you tell your own suppliers if you don't have enough money to pay your bills on time? The good news is we try to stay on top of our bills as best we possibly can. But there are times that we have some challenges. And I think an open line of communication is the key. We talk to our I wouldn't call them lenders. We talk to our vendors. We explain the situation. We talk to them frankly about where we are and what the situation is. If we make a promise, we adhere to that promise. We pay the bill when we say we will pay it. But like anybody else, we have some of those challenges. So many people have a dream of going off on their own and starting their own business. Having done this for as many years as you have, do you think you've met your dreams? (laughs) That's a very good question. I've met my dreams. It's funny you, you say dreams. I grew up in this business. This is I'm third generation in the carpet business. And uh, I resisted it most of my adult life. It wasn't until, um, I think it was about 14 or 15 years ago that I actually joined my father in business. And I'm very happy to be in this business. My father, soon to be 85 years old, is still an active participant in the business. It's been a real great experience for me to work with him and to see our business materialize and change over the years. I think it's challenging for him to see that changes difficulties. He ran a business the way he ran a business. And today we've had to some extent recreate the wheel and change the way we do business. But living the dream, I'm not sure that it qualifies as living the dream, but very happy here. We have a very solid, good family business and we're very happy. What advice would you have for others who want to do the entrepreneurial thing or go off on their own or work for a family business? I would encourage it. I think it's a terrific thing. In any business partnership, in any you know, relationship, there are challenges. Certainly dealing with family can present some of those challenges. But I think overall, this has been an experience that I'll cherish. And I'm very glad I made the decision to, I was living in New York City at the time, to leave New York City and come back home to the Boston area and go back into the family business. I'm very happy to have done that. And I would recommend it to others, yes. What keeps you up at night about your own business? Same as anybody else. Is uh, Where's the next order coming from and how am I going to pay all my bills? I don't know anybody that owns a small business today that doesn't have those same fears. But we take it a day at a time. Every day we, we look for new business and every day we try to service our customers the best we possibly can. And unfortunately, as I mentioned earlier, we spend a few too many hours collecting money. Thank you, Dan. Dan Weller, successful small business owner and entrepreneur. Coming up on The Language of Business, the company that's been distilling liquor in Boston since the 21st Amendment. But first, when it's not the career they're dreaming about, how do you get the kids to join the family business? Back to Greg Stoller. Thanks, Don. Here's a three-generation family business that goes back almost 100 years. Hub Folding Box Company. Tony DiRico, welcome to the Language of Business. Nice to be here. Thank you very much for having me. How do you have such a diverse customer base with folded cartons? Well, it's kind of our strong point, actually. One of the things that when we moved from our original buildings in South Boston and built this new facility, we were able to put a lot of new technology into this facility. When we put the new technology in, it allowed us to go out and be able to acquire these high-end customers. So the reinvestment in the business afforded us the opportunity to widen our customer base. 
How did you move from comparatively simple packaging to what you see behind you? When we were in South Boston, we really, our primary businesses were frozen food and bakery. Those were the markets that we served, and the equipment that we had back in those days didn't really allow us to create this kind of high-end packaging. When we moved here, we were able to invest in new technology. The way we print today allows us to print on these really cool, exciting, sometimes expensive substrates to create these wonderful points of difference at retail, you know, in terms of the packaging. The investment in the new technology and the new equipment kind of drove that opportunity to where we are today. Every one of these packages are different, and that's the exciting thing about coming to work every day. For our clients, you're creating a new concept, a new idea all the time. That's what makes the industry fun. As third generation, does your vision for the company differ? It's funny, you know, when you look back at my grandfather when he came over, he was a shoeshine boy outside a barbershop in New Haven, Connecticut, and worked for the first folding carton company in the United States. He was quite a guy who developed the first six-pack bottle carrier, developed the, the concept of putting a cellophane window on a folding carton within a company called International Paper Box Machine Company. We had the first automatic window machine in the world. You know, the one thing that I think the vision that the third generation has for this business that's very similar to what my father and my uncles and my grandfather had, is that customers are what makes our business important. Besides you as president and CEO, are there any other family members currently in the business? We have a large group of family members here at Hub Folding Box, and that's the beauty of the business, you know, working with your family. It was just in November, my uncle, Fred Dorico, worked till he was 96 years old as the president of the company. He passed away, and he came to work every day. And my dad, coming up on five years of his passing, and he worked every day till his death. Hopefully that won't be the, the case in my shoes, but I have four cousins that are in the business and myself, and the challenges, as you can imagine, is trying to just get everybody on the same page and focused on, on what we need to do, and I think we've been able to do that very well. As younger people come into the business, how do you deal with old school versus new school of management? Yeah, you know the kids today, they have this uh, entitlement factor and trying to educate them that there's an importance for them to learn and earn their position. It's challenging, but these young kids are smart and they're energetic. The technology is driving a lot of the ability to move things quicker. So, you know, you just have to create, as an owner of the business and a senior manager, you have to create the environment in which these people or your team, your employees can go ahead and thrive. I think we do a good job of that here. I think, you know, one thing that our family is very proud of is, is the way we've reinvested in this business. Between 2006 and 2012, we spent over $40 million in CapEx. And we pride ourselves on the capital investment and the equipment that we have in our facility, reinvesting back into our business for our customers, for our business. The real truth of the matter is that, that without the people, you know, the reinvestment of the people, we wouldn't be anything. I mean, you could take all the equipment that we have in the plant and put it in somebody else's plant, but without the team that we have here, we wouldn't be successful. Even as a member of the family, is the younger generation willing to start on the production floor? <laughs> they have to. One of my cousins and myself, we're the only two that have children, and as he and I were both brought up, we had to work, we both done every job in the plant, or we all have, and we both had to go out and work for another company for a period of time before we were allowed to come back and work here. Yeah, the importance of appreciating the opportunity of coming to work at your own business or a family business is, is important, yeah, so I think you have to go through that. Tony DeRico, the president and CEO of Hub Folding Box Company, using some out-of-the-box thinking for over 100 years. Still to come, the company that's been distilling liquor in Boston since the 21st Amendment. One more time, here's Greg Stoller. We are here on location at MS Walker in Somerville, Massachusetts. They are equally as concerned with the welfare of their employees as they are with making money from their entire operation. A fourth generation member of the family is Scott Allen, and thank you for joining us on our show. Thank you for having me. So what do you do at MS Walker? 
MS Walker is a fifth generation, 80 year old family business. We have approximately 400 people. Our business is driven into two different segments. The first segment is our rectification processing manufacturing business, which we've been doing for 80 years. Our second business is fine wines and spirits, which we distribute on a wholesale level throughout 34 states in the country. And what is a rectifier? Rectifier is someone who takes the spirits, the distilled spirits in at the high proof, 180, 190 proof, we'll take it, we'll reprocess it, and we'll bottle it under our own labels, under our own brands. We're the only ones doing this in the state. There were roughly 30 of us doing this after prohibition. We acquired the last two competitors within the past 20 years. And what we do is we take the distilled spirits at the high proof, we'll either add flavoring, Everything we do has a formula approval and a label approval. We can't process or make or distribute any product that does not have those approvals. Okay, so now let's talk about business strategy. You work in a highly regulated industry. Mm -hmm. You hit that right on the head. We are a highly regulated business. We're regulated by the TTB, which is the Taxation Trade Bureau, which was the old Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and yeah. Firearms. Secondly, the state, the Alcoholic Beverage Control Commission and third through the city of Somerville for our permits for our flammable liquids and our storage permits. We have a good relationship with all three entities. We've had a relationship with those, the state agency and federal agency for over 80 years. We have very good people here that know how to run our business on a day-to-day -day basis, specific to regulations. There is no room for error. Okay, so that's your way of assessing risk? The way we assess risk, there are different elements of the business for risk. Our greatest risk we have are our relationships with our suppliers. We work very hard to nurture those relationships with our suppliers to make sure there's a continuity of supply. It could be the raw materials, it could be the finished goods. The next greatest risk we have are our people. We work very hard to nurture the relationships with our employees. We have over 400 employees. We have employees that have been with us for over 30, 35 years. We have very low turnover. We believe in the people that work for us. We work very closely with them, and our job is to make sure we treat them as family and we consider them as family. Scott, most businesses in non-regulated industries worry about getting good terms from their suppliers upstream and dealing with non-payment issues from their customers downstream. How do you think through those issues on a daily basis? First of all, we have very low bad debt. It's driven by credit laws in the state. Specifically, there are 60-day credit terms in the state. By law, regulated by the Alcoholic Beverage Control Commission, if a customer does not pay within 60, 61, or 62 days, we're required to report that customer to the state agency, and in turn, every wholesaler gets that information, and in turn, you can only sell that customer on a COD basis. Secondly, if there is bad debt with a certain license and the ownership decides to sell that license, the bad debt transfers with that license. We dramatically reduce our bad debt due to that. Let's talk about material acquisition from your suppliers. Are you kept up at night about not getting the right materials you need in the rectifying or the processing? It is. We have a really good purchasing department. We work off of a demand plan report where we project day, week, months out, what our needs would be, whether it's the liquids, meaning the distilled spirits, other material, it could be corrugated, it could be our glass that we use, it could be labels, and our purchasing department works very close 
with the representatives from those distributors to make sure we do not carry too much inventory, we have just enough inventory, and it's that juggling game that we work within. Where is the intersection between the regulations and the risk assessment ending and somebody sitting at a table and enjoying a good glass of wine? I hope they always enjoy a good glass of wine or, or a good spirit. We have a team of brand managers. Their responsibility is to make sure the wine that they bring in there's a demand for that wine. We may create a demand for that wine. It's either through branding, marketing, or just pounding the pavement on the street. Our job is to bring the spirit or wine, wine specifically in with a vintage, and make sure we distribute that spirit within three to six months, uh, preferably, or sooner to be able to uh, turn over the spirit and get it to either retail account or a restaurant. Thanks, Scott. Scott Allen, one of five generations successfully managing MS Walker. Thanks, Greg. And that's our episode this week. You can find links to all the people and companies we've interviewed on the show notes. We now have downloads in 49 countries. Welcome to Belarus and China. Thanks for the support. If you subscribe and leave a rating on Apple Podcasts, it'll be a huge help. Our director is Mark Mandel. Social media by Jennifer Powell of ExcellentWriters.com. Consulting producer is Helen Tierney of Happy Accident Productions. Audio editing and voiceover by yours truly. Special thanks to Mike Carruthers of SomethingYouShouldKnow.net. For Greg Stoller and the entire team, I'm executive producer Don Kelly. Thanks for listening to The Language of Business.